Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message given on Sunday morning, July the 31st by Tom Job on 1 Corinthians. Everyone, so I wanted to read to you guys out of the. So, one thing I don't know where I got this idea, but I, I, I thought um. You know that like so you know the idea that like. Paul, so like there was this missionary. Paul, who was like the first missionary, and he just went around to foreign places and foreign countries and told everybody about Jesus, and people came to know Jesus, and then he would put them in little communities, and then he would keep on moving, and they would have situations and problems and stuff, and he would write them letters, and a whole bunch of the New Testament are these these letters. Um, He was an apostle, and he wrote epistles, which means letter. One guy said, I thought the epistle was the wife of the apostle, but it just means the letter. It's just a letter. But a whole bunch of the New Testament are these letters that are written to certain people in specific situations. And so I thought, it might kind of be fun to just spend a few weeks and say, the letter to, "Mm, what is it all about? Like, what what was it about? So I wanted to talk about one this morning. Um, It's... um, First Corinthians, it's right in front of Second Corinthians. They got two. And so that's kind of the order it goes in. I just want to read this real quick. He said, Paul called an apostle by Jesus Christ, by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints, together with all those who, all those everywhere who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because his grace given to you in Christ Jesus, for in him you are enriched in every way, in all kinds of speech and knowledge. And you didn't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed and he will keep you firm to the end so you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. He called you into fellowship with his son Jesus. And then... We're going to talk about some problems. So, Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to understand that we're not as, we're not that weird. Um, we're not that different from these people. It was a long, long time ago in a world far away. But we're like him so much. And there's so much that he was so urgent to tell them. And I just pray that we could feel the urgency of that um, because nothing matters more. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, well, I had this thing, I guess it was last Sunday, when, so Tina and I, we got home and we were just, I don't know, relaxing a little bit and watching the Braves and 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 I fell asleep on the couch and I woke up about 20 minutes later and I did not know what day it was. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know my name. And I looked up and I thought, that's Tina Job. I recognize her. And my feet are on her lap. I must be Tom Job. And you know, it just, it took me about seven minutes. You know, the other night we were going to bed and we were going to sleep and um, Tina was, she was sitting up reading a little bit and, and, um, 
I went to sleep and I had this, you know how you have a dream like right away, I had this dream. And it was, uh, I was in a Methodist church. I don't know how I knew it was a Methodist church, but it was one. And there was a choir up front and they were, and on each side of the choir was a good section of the Pride of the Southland Band. And they were playing and then they marched off, the choir marched off, the front door opened up and three skunks walked in. And I just thought, I thought that is the weirdest thing. I, but um, but anyway, I was thinking. I was, so I was thinking about this story. It was written in 1819 by this guy named Washington Irving about the Catskill Mountains and about this about this guy named Rip Van Winkle who um, he was just a kind of a sweet, slow kind of guy, and everybody liked him. And he was kind of a farmer and didn't farm much. And it said that his temper was rendered pliable and malleable in the fiery furnace of domestic tribulation. Whatever that means, I think it has to do with his wife in some way. But they, but uh, anyway, so he goes up into the mountains to kind of get some peace and he meets these people, little dwarfy people who didn't talk to him, but they were, they were the ghosts of the sailors of Henry Hudson. And they were bowling and drinking and they gave him something to drink. And he woke up, went to sleep and woke up and he had this big long white beard and it was like 20 years later, and he had slept for 20 years. And um, his wife was gone, his dog was gone, everybody was gone, and he had missed like the entire Revolutionary War. And at this tavern where there was a picture of George III, there was this picture of this guy, General George Washington, who he had no idea who he was. And it was, you know what I mean? It was just like he woke up and the whole world was different, you know? So when I think about like the, like, okay, I don't know why I thought about that when I was reading this, but I, so I, but I thought about like the Corinthians, it was kind of like that, except not like that. So like, so this city where there was this Christian community in Corinth, in Greece, it was a, a place, so it was a city that was loud, like it was super loud. Like it was, there was the Mediterranean traffic, trade traffic. There were trade caravans. There were people from everywhere. Everybody had new ideas. It was full of sailors and sellers and um, people from other countries who were wide open to new ideas. So there were people with a lot of new ideas. And they were with these big personalities and they were trying to gather fans and followers and factions, you know, just in, to, to be followers of them. And it was a city that was loud. It was a city that was super lewd. Like it was, there was a lot of like prostitution. And I mean, it was just so, there was a, there was a temple there, the temple of Aphrodite where, um, as a part of their religion, there were over a thousand prostitutes who worked in that temple. So that's what it was about. Like, and it was a city full of sailors and just going there all the time, you know, and writing home and, hey, mom, uh, you know, I'm here. I go to church every day, you know, but it's just like, but not exactly this, you know, the same thing. It was just like crazy. It was just like, you know, this super, there, there was a, there's a place in, 
the book of Romans, when Paul's telling like the good news of Jesus, and he said, before I get to the good news, I need, I need to tell you some really bad news. And the bad news is we really need the good news. And so from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, he said, this is the human situation. It's a mess. It's like the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I mean, and people, even though they knew God, they turned away from him, and their hearts became foolish, and they gave themselves over to all kinds of crazy sexual stuff. And not only that, but they're, you know, they're worship idols, and they're super mean and they're hateful and they're divisive and they're nasty spirited and they gossip and they argue and all that stuff. Well, he was writing that from Corinth. And so he was basically just looking out the window and it's like, this is what I see out here, man. It's super bad, you know? And then, but anyway, he, so he went there and he was telling, and he started telling people his message, you know, about, about Jesus and how, like when God became a human being and he didn't live this way, like he, his was a completely and totally different way to be and to think and to feel. And if you believe in him and open your heart to him, you could be like this. Like you could have a different life. You could be different. You could be completely different. And so a lot of people did. He was there for a year and a half and a lot of people did. And it wasn't like they went to sleep and woke up in a different world. It's like they were born again. And then they were completely different. And it's like, wow, I feel differently. I think differently. Um, I see things differently. It's the same old world. But I'm new now. And I don't really know how to fit here anymore. Like, everything has become different. So... Like Paul spent about a year and a half there leading people to Jesus and, and then teaching them like the ways, that they call it discipling, discipleship. It just means learning the ways and words of Jesus and following them. And then he moved on like to another city and, so, and left these people, brand new followers of Jesus, and then somebody came and said, I gotta tell you some bad stuff. There's some things that aren't going too great. One, you know that thing how they have these big personality people who try to get fans and followers and factions going and divide people into, in the New Testament it's called a party spirit. Like our party's the right party, your party's the bad. We're all right about everything, you're wrong about everything, that kind of thing. Well, it's happening in the, in the, in the, in the People that follow Jesus, they're starting to think that way. And some are saying, I f I'm a fan of this guy and I'm a follower of this guy and we're in his faction and we're, not, and we're better than y'all and all that stuff. And Paul's like, no, 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 that can't be happening. And you know what? They're even suing each other. He's like, no, 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 that can't be. And you know this whole thing about having to relearn everything about like sexuality and stuff because been, they were so wild and crazy and all that. And, then, and now they're having to learn like the ways of Jesus and the will of Jesus. Well, they're doing pretty good, but there's a guy and he's shacking up with his mother-in-law. And you're like, ew. It's, but, and they don't really know what to do about it. And they're not really doing anything about it. And Paul's like, no, no, this is not going well. And then some people arrived and they had a letter. And it was from those people, like the people in the city of Corinth. And, and um, they had a million questions. Like, now that you're not here anymore, and we're trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, we have a lot of questions. 
And, and so, and these are what our questions are. And could you write back and tell us the answer to this? So if you eat like certain food and it's prepared in certain ways or kind of comes from certain places, can you become spiritually polluted? And two, you know this whole thing about being married to someone, which all that's kind of new to us, that you're married to one person, you stay with them like the whole time. Like, how do you pick who you're supposed to pick? And what if they unpick you? Like, what if they decide they don't, you know, maybe love Jesus as much as you and they dump you? Then, then where are you? And so here's another question. Um, so we've had some people, you told us that Jesus is going to come and he's going to sweep us all away and we're going to heaven. We have some people who are dead now. As Yogi Berra said, many of my friends are dead at the present time. You know, so are they going to miss this? Like when that happens, will they, you know, will they miss it? And um, here's another question. Um, so a lot of people here, they do this thing and um, they, it's called speaking in tongues. I mean, you told us about it, like speaking in tongues, where you like speak in tongues. They speak in these foreign languages. I think it's super cool, but I can't do it. So where am I then? You know what I mean? And it's like, so all these questions. So in 1 Corinthians, basically, what Paul says is, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Y'all have a million questions, and but we need to get back, we need to get back to some basic questions and answer some very basic questions basics. And if you know the answer to the basic questions, you'll understand the answer to these other questions. You'd probably kind of be able to figure it out on your own. But let, okay, let's go over this again and ask some basic questions. Okay. Who are we? Let's ask that. So now that you know Jesus, who are you? And he says in chapter one, okay, this is who you are. You are a saint. You are saints. If you believe in Jesus, you're a saint. And they're like, oh, how can you, I mean, saints, aren't saints like exceptional people with extraordinary powers? And I was talking to my friend, to, uh, to an Italian friend on Friday that I have, and he's, he was down in Florence for work. And I said, you know, my favorite church in Florence is the church of San Miniato, of St. Miniato, which is on a hill above the Arno River. And St. Miniato was, he was a saint. Well, he was a, a slave in the Roman Empire, but he refused to renounce his faith in Jesus. And so the, some Roman centurion cut his head off down by the bank of the Arno River for his faith. And so he just stood up and he put his head under his arm, walked up to the top of the hill, sat down and died. And that's where they built the church. I, I mean, I don't know if that actually happened, but I mean, that's the way the story goes. I think only chickens can do that, but, um, but, so, but he said, but saints, I thought saints were exceptional people with extraordinary powers. And Paul said, that's exactly right. You are exceptional people. Like, the re, like he said, you have, you've been called. You were called into fellowship with Jesus. I mean, the reason you believe this is that God called you. Like he, he called, deep in your heart, there's a place in 
I, the book, The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis, it's those Narnia books, where there was a girl named Jill Pohl and her friend Eustace, and they were being picked on in school, so they had run outside of a wall of the school, and they wanted to get away, and Eustace had been to Narnia, and he said, there's this lion there named Aslan, and maybe if we, if we call out to him, he'll let us come to Narnia, and we'll, we'll get away from all this, and so they just started saying, oh, Aslan, hear us, oh, Aslan, hear us, and all of a sudden, Aslan shows up, and uh, and he starts talking to Jill, and he, and he says, I have a job for you. That's the reason I called you here. And she said, you, well, you didn't call us. We were calling you. And he said, if I hadn't called you first, you would have never called to me. There's a place in chapter 13 of the book of Acts where he was in, kind of before all this, he was in another, he was in another city, the city of Antioch, and it says that, it says that um, he shared with them his message, the good news, and people just loved hearing it, and it says everyone who was appointed for eternal life believed, and it's like, what does that mean? Like, if you... I don't really know, but I mean, I think what it means is that if you believe in Jesus, it's because somehow you were appointed for that. Like somehow you had an appointment. Um, your name was written in a book before you were born. Like your name was written in a book before the world was even made. And God is like, I love everyone, but I'm going to have this one. I want this one. You know, we used to when we lived in Italy, we used to, well, it's kind of weird, but we used to share Jesus out in public places, like big piazzas and stuff. And, um, you know, maybe you'd start with like eight or nine people standing around and you start sharing with them and it would turn into like 120 people sometimes or 200 people or sometimes 200, 250 people. The biggest crowd I ever preached to in piazza, in the main piazza of Milano was on a Friday night. It was about 10:15, and it was 500 people. And they were just listening so intently to the message of the gospel. But the thing that didn't impress me, it wasn't the number of people. It was that I knew that there was a high possibility that in that crowd of people, there would be someone who had an appointment that they didn't know about, that had been established before the world was even made, that they be there at that minute and they hear that message. And God would open their heart. And, and uh, I remember one, one day, one evening, it was a Wednesday evening, and we, were, we went out to share Jesus, and it was raining, and there was nobody out. And we did it anyway, because my guys were stubborn that I worked with, and, they, and there was maybe like eight people listening to us in the rain. And then there was a guy who told us he was a chef in a restaurant, and he had gone there. He was going to climb up the stairs to the top. You could pay some money, go to the top of the Cathedral of Milan. It's about 430 feet. And he was going to jump off. And he said that he had gotten there too late, and the door was locked, and, and it was closed. And so I just was going back home. And I stopped, and I heard this. And he began to cry, and he accepted Jesus. And he had an appointment that he didn't even know about. There, there's a place in chapter 16 where Paul was talking in another city, and it said that he shared the message, and there was a woman listening, and God opened her heart to hear the things that he was saying. That's the reason you believe this, is because um, you're exceptional some way. When you heard the message, God opened your heart in a way, in a special way. You know, when Paul went to Corinth, well, 
in Philippi, where he opened that woman's heart, there were people that he opened their heart to the message. And there were a lot of people who didn't like it, and they ran him out of town. And then he went to Thessalonica, and there were people who got open their heart, but other people ran him out of town. And when he got to, he got to Corinth, and he was a little bit intimidated, you know, because like, what if these people run me out of town? And he had a dream, well, he had a, at, at night, Jesus appeared to him and said, Paul, don't be afraid. I have a lot of people in this city. He had met two people who believed in Jesus, so that was three of them. That's not a lot of people, but it was people in the city who didn't know it, but they had an appointment with him and it had been written in a book before the world ever was. And so it's like you're, this is who you are, is you're a saint and, um, and he said, you're sanctified. That's a word that means, it basically means you're special, like you're not like other people. You're different than other people. Um, one thing that happened when you believed in Jesus is, all, is Jesus, who was almighty God, who became a human being, uh, came to live inside of you. And so there's a place where Paul said, you know what we are in the world? We're like the temple of, um, we're the temple of God. Like the temple in the Old Testament was a tent. It was basically a tent. Um, and it, they, they built it into a cooler building, but it was, it, was, it was kind of a 3D live action diorama pageant with live animals and people in super cool outfits. And it was to tell people, this is how you could come to know God. And at the deepest part of the temple, there was a place where kind of God's presence, I mean, God's everywhere, but like God's presence was. And people could watch it and say, this is how you know God. And Paul said, that's who you are now. Like you, God is inside of you and people watch you and they learn how to know God because they're like, I want to be, I want to be, um, be like you. So, so you know that thing about suing each other? No, no, no. We don't do this. You're not, he said, you're not a normal human. That's what normal humans do. We don't do that stuff. Um, and, you, and let me tell you what else who you are is um, you are, he said, you have been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Um, the word Jesus, I mean, the word Christ, it's, um, well, it's a Greek, it comes from the Greek verb krinomai, which means to pour oil on someone. And uh, the person who has oil poured on them is the Christos. In, the, in Hebrew, it's the word mashiach, which means to pour oil. And the person with oil on them is the mashiach. That's where we get the word Messiah. Christ and Messiah, it's the same thing, just two different languages. And it comes from a place where, remember how there was a time when God had to fire the king they had and get a new king. So he goes to this man's house and he said, he said, uh, would you get all your sons? Uh, one of them... I, just go get all your sons. So this guy called all of his sons and uh, Samuel said, is that the one, Lord? He looks good. And God said, nope, nope, not him. You're looking at the wrong thing. I look at the heart. Is that son him? Nope. Is that son him? Nope. Went through all the sons. And he's like, Kevin, Joe, Nick, Mr. Jonas is is this all the sons you got? He said, well, I got the other one. I mean, the, uh, what's his name? Uh, the kid, uh, David. And uh, he said, get him. And God said, that's him. And so Samuel took out a horn of oil and he poured oil on David's head. And it was a way of saying, 
he is going to be the king one day. And it started a narrative in the Old Testament that there was coming one who was going to be the one with oil on its head, the Mashiach. And he is going to be, one day, he's going to be the king of the world. And you know who you are because you've been called into fellowship with him. You are a subject of the king. One day, Jesus is going to be the king of the entire world. Right now, he's the king of those who give their heart to him. And, um, and that's who you are. You're a subject of the king. You all have a king. So you know that thing about having like people with these big personalities that are trying to get fans and followers and divide everybody into factions? Paul said, no, no, no. Were they ever baptized for you? It says in chapter three, were, they, were you ever baptized into them? It's a word that kind of means to be transformed in your mind and your heart. Have they ever done anything for you? Did, have they ever transformed you like your king has? Were they crucified for you? Did they give their life for you? No, save the devotion of your heart to the one who has done that. And then, so, when he gets talking about, in chapter five and chapter six, he starts talking about like the sex part of this, like that your king has a will for you and a way for you, as refers to like your sexuality. Like his is, his is extremely different. It's extremely restrictive. It's about commitment. It's about fidelity. And within the context of that, it's about joy and passion, but with nobody else but the one that God has for you. And he said, so this, like the sexual will and ways for us that our king has for us, it's not for everybody. Like, in other words, we're not trying to impose this on everybody. We're not trying to impose this on people who don't know him. We're not trying to impose it on people who don't love him. We're not trying to, we don't, we're not, we don't have anything to do with judging them. We're not trying to impose the will, sexual will of Jesus on people who don't have him in their heart. They couldn't do it. But the question is, um, is he your king? A lot of times people talk about like the will of Jesus for our sexuality. The reason it's so good is because it's healthier and because it's safer for you. I don't think that's the reason at all. Because more often than not, the will of Jesus, our king for us, is usually the riskier choice. Oftentimes he'll call you to do things that are not safe at all. But what he says in chapter six is, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. When it comes to sexuality, the question is, whether you understand why or not, why his will is the way it is, does Jesus give you, does, do you give Jesus the right to tell you what to do? You're a saint. You're exceptional. You have extraordinary powers. You're a subject of the king, of kings. You have a king. Okay, what about um, the question, where are we? Okay, let me answer that in chapter 15. That's a complicated question, 
But we are not home here. This is not our home. Paul said, if this world we live in, if this was our home, if we believed in Jesus and we thought this was it, we would be the stupidest people in the world. And we would be, of all people, the most hosed. He said, because there come, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come and he is going to take us home. And it's not here. And he said, and where he's going to take us is so amazing. He said, it's the, like the life that we'll have there, the, the existence that, they'll, that we'll have there, the body that you'll, it says in chapter two, it's never entered into the heart of man what God has prepared. And, but in chapter 15, he said, the life we'll have there is different from this life the way a seed is different from a plant. So like if your life here, your body here, your existence here was an apple seed, your life there is going to be an apple tree in blossom. Is there anything that smells better than an apple tree in blossom? If, if your life here is a coconut, like you're a coconut, your life there is going to be a palm tree in a tropical sunset. Is there anything more beautiful than that? If you're an acorn here, there you're going to be a 140-foot oak tree. This is not it for us. And those who are dead, they're not going to miss it. They're having it. We're the ones that are missing it until we all get home. And, and, and so here's another question. What time is it? Uh, you're a subject of the king. You're a saint. You're on your way home. And uh, what time is it? Well, all I can say is we don't have a lot of time here. There's a place in chapter 7. It's kind of it's kind of strange, but it's all about who should I marry and what if my person dumps me and da-da-da. And Paul said, okay, so marriage, only marry people that love Jesus. And, but I think you'd be better off if you didn't. And he said, I'm just kind of telling you my opinion. I mean, it's not that God told me to say that, but this is just kind of my opinion, which, you know, take it or leave it. But I think you'd be better off if you didn't. And I think it's so weird that like the inspire word of God, Paul was moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to throw in one of his opinions and said, you can kind of take it or leave it. It's not like God's telling me this, but I think you'd be better off if you didn't. And it's like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, if you can't really make it without being married, go ahead and get married. It's awesome and all that. I think you'd be better off if you didn't. It's like, what do you mean? He said, because we don't have a lot of time. Like, like if you, if, so if you're not married, you can like serve Jesus full time because the time is short. Like if you have a lot of money, act like you don't because we're not going to be here long. And it's, it's, there's a place in the book of Psalms that it says a thousand years in God's sight is like one day. So if you live to be a hundred, it's only two and a half hours long. Like we don't have a lot of time. And, and, and so, and like Jesus, Paul said, you know, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. Well, he hasn't come back in 2000 years. Yeah. Well, a thousand years, one day. That's not really even a long weekend. So like, but so, we, you know, he kind of like saying, you know, if you were like me, you would feel like I don't have a lot of time and I've got stuff to do. OK, so what are we doing here? OK, so Paul said, OK, this this is our this is the mission that we have. We're saints. We're subjects of the king. We're this isn't our home. We're on our way home. We don't have a lot of time here. What are we supposed to do? OK, he said, OK, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing in the world. There's two times explicitly and seven times implicitly that Paul said, I want you to look at me and do what I do. So you know what I'm doing, and you should follow my example. I'm trying to save people. That's what I'm doing in this brief, for my king, in this brief time that I have to be down here. I'm trying to rescue people. Because people who don't 
know Jesus as their king who aren't in the kingdom are lost. They're lost. If they die that way, they'll be lost forever. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to rescue them. I would do anything to have the opportunity to share the message of the love of Jesus with everybody. He said, that's why I believe we're here. We're not trying to impose, we're not trying to impose our values on people who are not Christians. We're trying to value people who are not Christians and reach them and rescue them and have the opportunity of sharing Jesus with them. I, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to fight for a more Christian culture here because that would mean I would have to fight and I'm not fighting people. I'm trying to win people. I believe every victory in the culture wars is a defeat for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I'm trying to have the opportunity to tell people about the one who loved me when I was lost and who loves them. And, he, and so, so what's our method? He has a whole chapter on that. The, in chapter 13, the method is love. We are here to love people. He said, if you, if you could speak with the tongues of angels, if you knew, if you had the faith to move mountains and you didn't have love, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't do anything. Love is patient. Love is kind. He said, if you don't understand that, you don't understand anything. If I am unkind, I haven't understood anything about what we're supposed to do here. We're, it's patient. It's kind. He says it treats everybody with dignity and respect. It says love keeps no record of wrong suffered. It doesn't really say wrong suffered. It says it doesn't keep record of wrong. I'm like, I'm not trying to point out everybody's wrong. I'm here to love them. I'm just trying to love them. I'm trying to know in the short time that I have as many people who are outside the kingdom as I possibly can and love them, know them, care about them, love them with the hope that I might have the opportunity to share the message that has given me life that's given me everything. I think that's what we're on earth to do. There was a, there was a person who said, um, well, a person I've really, really admired like all my life. And um, because he wrote some books that really, really helped me to believe that Jesus was really risen from the dead and how can you know this stuff? And he, that was kind of like always his thing. But about, he's old now like me, you know, he's like 70 some. And he said, and he was speaking at the American Association of Christian Counselors. And he said, he said, um, the five greatest threats to evangelicalism in America, number one was social justice. And people's Twitter thing blew up and said, this person just said the biggest threat to evangelicalism is social justice. What? In Luke chapter four, Jesus, the very first sermon he gave, he said, the, the, I have been anointed. The spirit of God is upon me to free captive people, free oppressed people, give sight to the blind, and preach good news to poor people, to the poor. Like the, if, if our good news isn't good news for poor people, it's not good enough. 
It needs to be better news. It needs to be better news for them. Social justice, justice just means loving a poor person. Social justice just means loving more than one poor person. Like Jesus said, when you feed the hungry, you're doing that to me. When you visit people in prison, you're doing that to me. Like that's, you know, it's just what we've been called to do is we've been called to love, to love as many people who don't know Jesus as we possibly can, to know them, to love them, to care about them with the hope that we could share the message of Jesus with them. That's what we're here to do, everyone. That's, that's why we're here. We're here to love. So... How do people get off that? Like, how do, how do people sometimes from time to time lose track of that? Like, I feel like we've, you know, if they, I feel like we've lost our way. We've really kind of lost that focus. I found the key to it. I, I went a little bit over. Can y'all give me like a minute and 40 seconds? So <laughs> he said, I have found the key. This is my North Star. If you get a hold of this, you'll never lose your way again. He said, I, made, I have made it my ambition to preach Christ Jesus and him crucified. That is the message I think about. It's the message I talk about. It's the message I bring everywhere. It's the message that maybe somebody feels like, I don't hear that message that much anymore. But Paul said, that's the message that we need to say. That's the message that we need to love, that I was lost. And Jesus died for me, and he lives, and he loves me. And people are lost, and Jesus died for them. And he lives, and he loves them. I believe that is the answer to every problem in this world. Like, I think that, if, just imagine for a minute, if everybody went to sleep, and they woke up in the world, and they somehow mysteriously believed in Jesus, and they just believed, they woke up in a different, in, in the same world, but different, and they believed that they were lost, but that Jesus died for them, and that because he loved them, and they woke up with a new heart and a new way to see, and they just loved, and they loved too, and they loved everybody, and they felt like I could never judge anybody, and we were all lost, but now we're loved, and we just need to love each other. Wouldn't that be heaven on earth? If more people felt that way, wouldn't this be a better place? But they won't hear it unless we tell them, and they won't listen unless we love them. Anyway, that's what 1 Corinthians is about. Lord, I do ask you that, you, that, you know, Give us somebody, if there's somebody who's longing for somebody to love, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, maybe they live around the corner, maybe they work across the hall, give us, give someone this week someone to love in Jesus' name and help them get a taste of this is what we're on earth to do in your precious name, amen. Well, I want to see your eyes say my life is your life make every single day another chance to say i want to please you more i want to love you lord i want to live like i'm your child and i want to make you smile
Another chance.